hey, coming right out of what we just saw there, you know what? You can talk about a car and you can display a car. You can even go out and sit in the car, turn it on, rev up the engine. But if you don't ever put it in gear, if you never actually go anywhere, what's the point, right? And that is kind of the way that James is talking to you and me, approaching you and me about faith. We can talk about our faith. We can get very emotional about our faith. We can talk about our beliefs. I believe this and I stand for this. But where do those beliefs, where does that faith get put in gear? Where does it show up in our lives? And that's what we're looking at as we work through this series in James and what we see. And I think, boy, this is the really challenging part is when that faith is put in gear. Let me tell you something, folks. It's a radical change in our lives. It's, it's not just looking back and saying, oh, yeah, when in, in 1982, I became a believer and I, I stopped doing this and I started doing that. And, and oh, yeah, there was another change over here Some. Folks, the Christian life is an ongoing process of of evolving and changing. And it's not just little changes every now and then. It's radical changes. And when I use the radical, I mean, sometimes it's probably uncomfortable. Sometimes it's working against maybe what you would prefer. As a matter of fact, that's what James is going to talk with us today about our preferences. How we prefer other people. And, and, and you know, folks, when we give preferences, usually what we're doing there is, is we're preferring people that we're most comfortable with, and we're preferring people who benefit us. Now, I realize that way of explaining it doesn't sound very flattering, does it? It kind of makes us all very self-centered. And so I just want to assure you, I'm not talking about anybody in this room. This is all the bad people out there. Now, you know what, folks, the truth is, if God's not living in us, And if we're not purposely depending upon him, looking to him to bring about this change in how we prefer or don't prefer people, it it doesn't get changed. What we we naturally do is approach relationships in a very self-centered way. Now, preferences is is just a part of life. We're always, I mean, there's not a day that goes by that you're not expressing preferences. I mean, not a day. There's not an hour that goes by. You know, we, we've got, of course, in our world today, we've got like, what, 500 flavors of ice cream? Let, let's boil this down to the basics, chocolate and vanilla. How many people prefer chocolate? Show of hands, Cho- okay? About half, so I'm guessing the other would say vanilla. See, I'm kind of vanilla. I, and not just any vanilla. Somebody said in the first service, French vanilla! No, no, not French vanilla. I like the, the vanilla with the, the specks in it, the yeah, vanilla bean. Right, the vanilla bean. You know, it's funny is because it, it says vanilla. It could be sprinkled dirt in there. Who knows? You know, but it says vanilla beans on the front. I prefer vanilla bean. We got football season starting. Who prefers watching football over, say, baseball or basketball? You, you. Pre- oh, wow. Okay, we're clearly a football group here. All right. And how about? Let's see. We'll try to include everybody. Who prefers the couples who love it instead of list it? Okay. Yeah. This is the, we have our least amount of HGTV people in here. The other services within about five seconds got there. This one was almost 10. You know, a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. I, we, my, my wife got me watching this show. I don't know why. I always want them to get rid of the thing. List it. Always go with the listing, you know. So, but hey, we, we have preferences all the time. And, and what, what, what James wants to talk to us about, it, it's not as simple as our preferences for our favorite color our favorite restaurant, our favorite kind of food, our, you know, our favorite show, our favorite, you know, it's dealing a little bit deeper with people. Because as I said, people, this is, 
you know, if I don't feel comfortable around you, and if I don't, you don't benefit me anyway, it's a little bit harder to move that direction. But that's the direction he wants to see us move. That's what shows God's really working. And that's a scary thought. That God's really working, that's what it looks like. Because folks, I have to tell you, as I look across the American landscape, it looks to me like possibly in a lot of churches, God's not moving and working. Because we build our churches based on our preferences. And that's why you can go into churches and they're all one color. They're all one economic status. I mean, there's a range, but every church will have a, this is where the bulk of, the, the, uh, uh, of people are. There could even be, you know, we're pretty tight in the level of education and, and how we do that or, or this kind of job. And I, you know what? I get it. There are some places you can't be very diverse. There, there are some places you really can't. I think I told y'all once before, my family, you hear a lot about Texas and Colorado, but if you go back to my great-grandfather who actually came over from Germany, he homesteaded in, in Kansas, Dighton, Kansas, and, and in the 70s we went, I mean, he did that in the 1800s, but in the 1970s we, we went as a family and saw the old homestead and all that, and Dighton, Kansas, wow, it's like 300 white farmers and that's it. You know, so if, if you're going to a church in Dighton, guess what color everybody's going to be in that church? They're, they're going to be the same color, they're going to be the same basic economic status, the same basic background, and there's not a lot they can change about that. But where that's not true, and that's in most places. Folks, I think the church actually has the goal of working at being diverse, and I think it's sad that in America the church is following culture. The, the, the culture got there, the culture got better at that than we did. Now it might be in some places because they were forced to. In, in here, it's not being forced, but then that's what shows the work of God in our lives, right? How we maybe would even consider walking into a place, crossing the room to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work at loving and serving, befriending maybe people that I would not normally have done that with before. Let, let's see how James talks to us about this. Would you turn with me this morning to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 11, and then we're going to jump to chapter 2, where, where I'm going to read about 10 verses, 11 verses in chapter 2. Now, we're not skipping verse 12 to the end of the chapter. We're coming back there next week. Uh, it, it, we're, matter of fact, we've got two more sermons in chapter 1, and next week, folks, I am so excited. About it. I may be more excited about it than today's. I didn't say that out loud, did I? No, I'm just as excited about today's. Now, next week, I just think, man, you know, we're, we're, what we're seeing in chapter one is, okay, James is saying, hey, listen, put your faith in gear. And, and assuming that you and I are, that that's what we want to do, that's what we're seeking to do, we're moving into the world with a faith in gear. A lot of what he's doing in chapter one is saying, man, here's where you're going to get punched right away. And, and we've already seen part of that. You're going to get trials. And then next week, we're going to see temptations. Don't we all deal with that? I mean, you might walk six inches off the ground and float and be super holy, but we all deal with temptations. And so next week, we're going we're gonna to see what role that plays, what, how our faith plays in, in, in dealing with that. And I'm pretty excited about next week. Equally as excited about today, so let's get started. Chapter 1, let me begin reading in verse 9. It says, Christians who are poor should be glad. 
For God has honored them. And those who are rich should be glad. For God has humbled them. God God has a way of working through both groups. God has a way of humbling both groups. You know what's interesting here, folks, is that sometimes God can actually shine through the poor more than he can the rich. You say, why would you say that? Well, if you stop and think about it, you see a, a poor person. Somebody say, then they don't have a lot of means. They don't have a lot of opportunity. You look at that person, and if they have a sense of vision, a, a sense of confidence, a sense of hope, a, a sense of direction, I mean, they really look like they're on top of life. Man, you say, man, how do you have that? Tell, tell me about what you have. And they get to give a testimony for Christ. But sadly, if we see a rich person, and they might be a Christian, but if we see a rich person with a sense of hope and, and direction and confidence and they seem on top of life, what do we assume? Oh, we assume it's their money, right? M- m- money makes you that way. Yeah, if I had that much money, I'd have a lot of hope too. Y- you see, we're not as quick to, to attribute that to something else because we, we put so much confidence in money. But it says here, so Christians are poor should be glad and those who are rich should be glad. God's working in both. But on the rich, they will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and dries up the grass. The flower withers and its beauty fades away. So also with wealthy people will fade away with all of their achievements. Now let's look to chapter 2. Let me begin reading in verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim that you have faith? In our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's right out of how we're trying to present this series. How can you say you, okay, you can say you have faith, but how can you say it's been put in gear? How can it say it's really driving your life if you favor some people more than others? Now think about that. He's asking a question about something that's almost automatic for us. Something that is so natural. We just prefer based on who we're most comfortable with, based on maybe who's benefiting us, we just automatically do this. And he's saying, hey, you can't even say you have faith in Christ if that's what's happening in your life. Verse 2, for instance, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in shabby clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, or oh, you can just sit wherever you want. <laughs> just kind of elaborated on what was said there. Well, doesn't, that, doesn't this discrimination show that you're guided by wrong motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God promised to those who love him? And yet you insult the poor man. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good for you when you truly obey our Lord's royal command found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you pay special attention to the rich, you are committing a sin. Now understand, the illustration here is, is the rich, okay? This rich and poor. And, and, and while this is an issue that James is dealing with, I also think he's using it as an illustration because wherever you go on this earth and wherever you go in human history, this is always the case, isn't it? There's the haves and the have-nots. We always break up by our money. But that's not the only issue. We break up by skin color, by nationality, by cultural preferences. We, we can break up by age. We can, we can break up by education. So there's a lot of ways. Rich is just one of them. 
And so he's saying, hey, listen, if you are preferring the group you like, and in the same token, you're discriminating against these others, hey, that's a sin. That is absolutely not okay, for you are guilty of breaking that law. Verse 10, and the person who keeps all the laws except one, like if this is the one you just broke, you're just as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you murder someone, you have broken the entire law, even if you do not commit adultery. Now it almost sounds in the end there like like James is veering off and going almost in a whole new direction. What's this whole thing about murder and, and adultery? I thought we were talking about prejudices and discrimination. I think what James is doing is he's beating us to the punch. Before we say, yeah, 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 I know, be nice to everybody. <laughs> you know, we could say, hey, this isn't that big of a deal. Hey, we all have these issues. I mean, it's not like I murdered somebody. No, James says, no, that's exactly what it's like. You know, when you're breaking the law, if you break a law, that makes you a lawbreaker. Yeah, you may not have murdered somebody, you may not have committed adultery, but in the same law that says don't do those things, it says don't do this. Don't show these, these preferential treatments, don't show this partiality, don't be prejudiced, don't be discriminatory, put you in the same category. In other words, we're, right now we're supposed to go, oh, so you mean this. Oh, oh, so this is a big deal. We're, we're supposed to actually pay attention here. And James said, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Now, James is saying, hey, listen, you can't do what's automatic. You can't do what is so very natural to group up in these little groups that make you comfortable. And there's three reasons why. Number one, because God's not that way. Number two, because the way you and I do that, it, our, our logic, our thinking is flawed when we do that. We're not even doing that on right thinking when we do that. And lastly, it's just not love. It's just not love. So now let's think about all three of these a, a, a little bit, one, one piece at a time. Okay, this first one, God's not partial. God's not, not prejudiced. Now, as we say that, folks, we need to remember the goal is to be like God, right? I mean, that's not exactly a revolutionary thought when we come to church, you know, we're, we're to be more like God. You know, that's a thought I think we all know, we all agree to. And I, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't want to assume this of every one of us in here. But I'm just, I'm saying, I think it's pretty natural to not ever think that thought. We agree with it. We know it's the case. We just don't think about it that much. I, you know, as I walk through a day, as I'm making a decision, responding, reacting, doing certain things, you know, am I thinking, am I really driven about how I can look like, how I can be like God? Probably not. And, and there's a reason for that, I think. You know, if, if you're standing at the base of a mountain that you have no ability to climb, no, no skill, no equipment, I mean, you just, you can't get to the top of this, why take the first step? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be awesome to do that, but I, but I can't, so why take the first step? I think being like God is like standing at the base of a mountain we can't climb. We just kind of think, man, that's, that's impossible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall short in that. I'm going to miss that. Why even take the first step? It's not that we think it's a bad idea. It's just, that's, that's kind of impossible, isn't it? And so I think we just set it aside as a real driving goal of life. But folks, God has not set it aside <laughs> God has not said, yeah, I know, yeah, 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 do your best, but I know you really can't get there, so let's just move that one. No, he didn't. Matter of fact, God did quite the opposite of setting aside. He, he completely empowered and enabled this to happen in your life. 
And the first thing he did was send his son Jesus Christ to pay for all the places, for the penalty of all the places that you and I are not like God. And we're not working on being like God. Jesus pays for that. It's also Jesus that as we come into relationship with him, God comes and lives in us so that we have God's power and we have God's wisdom to actually walk through them at day and make decisions to be like God. So, so God has absolutely not removed from us the challenge to be like him. And that's why he says, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. And so, folks, there shouldn't be a day in our lives that goes by where we're not praying, God, help me be like you. Hey, hey God, as I walk through this day, show me a place you really want me to work on being like you. Where right now in my life would that, do I need to focus on being like you? And folks, as we pray a prayer like that, we're going to find that a lot of times the way God answers that prayer is running us by our relationships. So much of God's commands are about our relationships with one another, believers between believers, believers between unbelievers, friends between friends, friends and enemies. I mean, so much of the scripture is about how we relate and how we discriminate. And so what the scripture says here is, listen, God, if I'm God, I don't do that. So y'all don't do that. Let, let, let's show God, let's, let me show you, let me show you God over and over saying, that's not what I'm like. Look here at uh, Deuteronomy. The awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Think about what this is saying. The God who is by nature, it's not his nature, that's not who he is, and takes no bribe. And that's not what he can be made to do. He's not by nature discriminatory. And he can't be made to be discriminatory. He can't be led to be discriminatory. Second Chronicles. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. You know another way of looking at the fear of the Lord is the, the awe of God. You ever leave church sometimes? I hope sometimes. And you're just in awe of God. You know, maybe it was a certain song and, and the way it helped you kind of feel and sense God that morning. Of course, I know the sermon puts you in awe of God every single week, right? A absolutely, yeah, that, that, that just always is going to do it. You know what, maybe, maybe it has nothing to do with anything that goes on during the service. Maybe you're walking to the car in awe of God because the way God spoke to you and met a need in your life with a conversation you had out in the concourse. Or, or in, in a life group class. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody encouraged you. But whatever it was that caused that. Man, you're walking to the car. You're just in awe of God. Overwhelmed with the goodness and greatness of God. Second Chronicles is saying, yeah, that feeling right there. Take that feeling. And under that feeling, hey, be warned. Here's some ways that God's not like. God's not unjust. So you don't be unjust. You don't be unfair. God's not partial. So let the awe, you're, you say you're in awe of God. Well, he's not partial. So don't you be partial. He doesn't take bribes. He's not led to be that way. So you don't be led to be that way. Acts chapter 10. God shows no partiality. Romans chapter 2. For God does not show partiality. Ephesians chapter 6. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You know, think about the way we break up into our groups. We break up by skin colors. God's master of all skin colors. We break up by economic status. God's master of all economic status. We break up by our education. God's master of all education. However, however we break ourselves up, God's God there in that group. 
And, and, and so there again, this is who God is, folks. This is who we're to be. You know, kind of a, a theme I hope that comes out in my preaching, uh, I, I think I make a statement like this pretty often, is, is God's laws, God's rules are an expression of who he is. That they help us to know him. They help us to understand what it would mean, what it would look like to be like him. Where I think sometimes our tendency is, is to open this book and see these rules. Well, these, these are all the ways God doesn't want me to have fun. These, these are all the things God's trying to keep me from, from doing. You know, God's up there and God, what, I mean, what's a God do? Well, he invents religion, right? And, and so, I mean, if I'm going to have a religion, I got to have some thou shalls and, the, and some thou shalt nots. And I think sometimes we can treat these rules as some kind of random arbitrary ideas that God came up with. And if you can get through enough hoops at the end of the game, you get a religious reward. No, man, nothing could be further from the truth. There's nothing random. There's nothing arbitrary about what the scripture is telling you to do or not to do. It's telling you, hey, this is what God is like. And this is where I say, you've heard me say this. He tells us not to lie because he's truth. If I want to enjoy him, experience him, grow in being like him, then I'm not going to lie, not because it's an arbitrary rule, but because God is like the truth. God is truth. And something we learn here is, hey, it might be natural for me, to be prejudiced, it might be kind of automatic to look for certain groups that I'm comfortable with, but God's saying, hey, that's not what I'm like. I, I don't do that, so if you want to know and experience me, if you want to enjoy me, you're not going to do that either. God is not partial. Second thing this, this passage says is that the way we break up into our groups, there's a flaw in our thinking. We break up into groups because we're all so very different, Right? I mean, the reason I'm not comfortable with your culture is because your culture is so different from my culture. The, the reason I'm not comfortable with your amount of money or lack of money is because that's not what I have. That's not what I'm comfortable doing or can afford doing. Or what. See, we think there's this big differences. Our, we, we prefer people because we're getting people like us instead of very different from us. That's flawed thinking because we're all alike. We are all, every person on this planet, desperately in need of God's grace. Every single one of us. You know what makes us all very much alike? We're all sinners. We have all rebelled against God. We fight God. We're, we're not like Him. I mean, folks, we don't make God comfortable. We don't benefit God. You know, we, we have sinned and rebelled against God. We're not like Him. We're not like His heaven. And if we die in that condition... We're not just separated from him for a moment, but then we're separated from him for all eternity. Now we're talking about hell. Now, folks, that description of all of humanity, that's what makes us alike. That's a lot bigger than, than our skin color, than our money, than our education, than our, our age. We are all desperately in need of God's loving kindness. And that, all makes, and that makes us all very much the same. You know, you know, another way we're all very much alike is we're all moving to the same place, right? I mean, we're, we're all moving to death. We might move there from this country or another country, from this color or that color. From, we, we might on this journey have a whole bunch of money to spend on the way to death. And we might on this journey have almost no money to spend on the way to death. Who cares? We're all moving to the exact same spot. 
And this is where James says, hey, you know, know, the rich, we look at how good their life is. And we applaud and we tend to exalt that life. And yet, he doesn't even compare them to the poor here. What's he compare them to? Grass. He said, man, the rich are like grass. You know, they pop up. They look nice for a day. They're, They're splendid for a day. You know, there's the flower and the flower's beautiful for a day. But then the sun comes up and it scorches it and it fades. And it's because it's grass. We forget, right? He says, the rich are just like that. Man, they fade, they're gone. All their dreams and visions and accomplishments, all they did is just gone. It's, it's just gone forever. Hey, there's no difference between us in that we're all moving in the exact same direction to the same place. James says, you know, there's another kind of flaw in the way you're thinking. We, 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 we tend to, you know, when we're in a group and, and somebody comes in and they got, and I'll, I'll expand on the word rich. They're rich, they're powerful, they're influential, they're, they're people who make things happen. And so when the senator walks in, the governor, the president, the, the CEO, the president of this company, when somebody we deem to have a lot of, you know, they just got a lot. Man, we want, hey man, we gotta make them comfortable. Get, get them a good seat. Make sure they get a good meal. Make sure they're happy here. And you know what? A poor person comes in, you can say whatever you want, I don't care. Why? Why are we like that? Because the poor person can't benefit me. They can't help me. They can't advance me. They, they, can't, they can't do anything. And, and James says, you know, if you stop and think about it, it's the poor, it's the ones with all the power. They're the ones who make the laws that oppress you and make it difficult. They're, they're the ones who are suing you. They're, they're the ones, in the, in the context of James, they're the ones who are actually persecuting the church. And yet we run around, how can we make them happy? Why? Because they can benefit us. You see how we're so driven by that? We'll kowtow to that. Why? Because, well, man, you're friend with that person. Dinner's paid for tonight. Friends with that person. And, hey, man, that might open up and become a job. Maybe there'll be a good opportunity there. You know, man, that, that, person, can, that person can make things happen for me. You see, we go by what benefits us. That's all we look at people as in our nature. And that's where James is saying, man, that's just so not like God. God is just never looking at people and saying, how do they benefit me? What, what are they going to do for me? How comfortable? Because the answers would all be somewhat negative in that. See, that's not like God. And our goal is to be like God. Okay, so we don't use this flawed thinking. And this flawed thinking, at least the third point and the real problem, it's just not loving. It's just not loving to, to discriminate, to separate, to dismiss, to, to push people off. Folks, when we are being Christians as an individual, when we are being the body of Christ as a group, there is something that is to define us. Jesus said it this way. He said, listen, everybody out there watching... All, all the people of the world, when they're watching you as an individual be a Christian, when they're watching us be the body of Christ, there's one thing, there's this one thing that really shows that what's in you, what's in me is genuine, it's real, it's authentic. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And that one thing is love. It's a love for one another. Who do you think he's talking about there? When he says that people are going to watch you and me love, what people is he talking about us loving? Is he talking about, boy, the world is going to watch you love your family and they're just going to be in awe of Jesus. 
The world is going to watch you love your best friends. The world is going to watch you love people who honestly you'd love if God wasn't in your life. What does that show when we love the people around us that anybody and everybody tries to love? No, what really shows Jesus is in us, the love for one another being talked about here, is when you and I cross the room and we try to love and serve and befriend somebody who would not be what we would normally choose. You know, folks, this passage isn't saying... We, we can't have a close group of friends. We can't have best friends. You know, yeah, we're going to have people we enjoy the most more than others. We're going to have people that's just kind of a mutual blessing there in, in getting together. This passage isn't saying we can't have friends. What this passage is saying is you've got a group of friends when God's not living in you. Now that God is living in you and you, you've got a group of friends... Does somebody who had no chance of getting inside of that circle because of their money or lack of, because of their skin color, because of their background, does somebody who could not break into your circle, can they be in that circle now that God is living in you? Does that make sense? Yeah. Man, if God's living in me, if God's love is flowing through me, and I'm showing that God is living in me. This is what it looks like. Yeah, there's now people in my circle that is not what normally would have happened before. And that's what draws attention to it. I mean, that that person, this group, they love, there's harmony, there's unity. They're all coming together. And the things that normally divide don't seem to be doing it. How does that happen? And then we have a testimony for Christ there. Now, another thing this passage is not saying is it's not saying that you and I can't show discernment. Love doesn't mean don't be wise. I mean, let's be honest, folks. Some people can walk through the door there that are dangerous, right? They're dangerous. They're, they're dangerous people. They're unsafe. They will do harm. Okay? Saying that I'm loving doesn't mean that I ignore warning signs. But I think what this passage would say is be careful that you're not baptizing your prejudice under discernment. That we're not just immediately saying, well, you know, this class of money, this color, not safe. That's not safe. No, that's not true. A skin color doesn't make somebody safe or unsafe. An amount of money doesn't make somebody safe. Or that's not discernment. We need to show discernment. We need to be careful sometimes, but not based on our preferences. You know, here, here's the bottom line, folks. When people engage with you and me, and specifically and especially, and I hope this is always the case, people who know, hey, I claim to be a follower of Jesus. I, I claim to be a Christian. When people relate with me as an individual, when, when they walk into this building and, and relate with us, I think what James is saying is it is a failure of monumental proportion when they come in here and they find the same schoolyard bully that they have out there. When they come in here and they find the same office politics that are out there. When they come in here and they find the same prejudice in here that's, that's out there. When they come in here and they find that they can be rejected and belittled and dismissed for, for who they are or something about them. That, that can happen in here the same way it happens out there. James, I, I, matter of fact, not James. I think at that point God is grabbing his head and saying, 
you, you could not be missing it more. You, you could not be further from every single word in this book at that moment. Man, what shows God's living in us? What shows God is in this church, folks, is when we can love and serve and befriend all. And we work at doing that. Okay, so I'm trying to evaluate. I mean, I said one of the reasons I want to study James is, you know, I'm kind of coming through a phase in life. And, man, I, I, I want to measure this person here that says he's a follower of Christ. And, and so, I'm, you know, I'm looking in James and I'm reading that. And, and he's saying, you know, Randy, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, here's what happens. I walk through these doors. I enter this building. And I am literally wanting to target Okay, I'm not waiting to bump into this. I'm not waiting till it's shoved down my throat. I am purposefully moving into a group of people and I'm looking for that person. I'm targeting that person I wouldn't normally prefer. And I'm trying to think, how do I love and serve them? How do I befriend them? How can I know them well enough that I can be an encouragement in their life? That I can pray for them? That I can help them? This is about actually befriending again letting them into my circle you've got a little we all got a little circle is there a difference in your circle before christ was in your life and after christ was in your life and folks obviously we're not doing this well because look at the church in america it's mostly divided up by our preferences even now that we're supposedly living under the influence of the spirit and yet we're still letting our preferences guide us you know, I was, I was thinking about this message this week. And, you know, you, you, you know, whenever I'm preaching and I'm going on and on 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And, but I'm always in my mind, I'm trying to boil it down. What's the sentence? What, what's the one idea that I'm trying to say there? And I started literally laughing to myself in my office this week. Because I think as it got to kind of end of trying to put this message. You know what I'm saying? Be nice. Love everyone. I mean, isn't that such a religious cliche? I mean, it just sounds, well, of course we're supposed to do. But that's our problem. See, when we throw out the cliche, when we throw out the religious tenet, I mean, isn't this one of the things where people say all religions are the same? Don't all religions tell you you got to be nice, get along with everybody, love everybody. But I think this is where James would stand up and say, no, 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 no. This isn't a cliche. As a matter of fact, I think what a lot of times we would do is we would take this message and say, okay, now, here's what we do, folks. Next, next Sunday, when you get in here, you walk in the room and you look for somebody that's not like you. And you make your way across the room and you say, good morning. Glad you're here. And then we charge back to the group we really want to sit with and we say, whew, I did it. Stung a little bit, but I did it. And I love, I love, they got to feel love now. James is not encouraging you and me to do a good deed. That's not what this is about, folks. It's not a good deed. It's not an event. Hey, this week at the Heights, we're all going to meet here at, at, at 7 o'clock and we're going we're gonna to do this so we can all check off that we're nice to everybody. It is an overwhelming radical change of the way I approach people not in an event not in a moment but every single day I walk on this planet and this is why by the way we need the church you see in here hopefully hopefully here is a 
kind of a safe place where especially if we've grown in diversity, we can come in here and we exercise, we practice doing this. We practice crossing the room for somebody that I know probably doesn't make me feel comfortable. Crossing the room for somebody I know really probably can't benefit me. And do you know why we would do that? And this is why it's not an event or a good deed for one time. We would do that, folks, because God crossed the room for us. Do you think God came and got me because of how comfortable he was with me? Because of how much he just enjoyed being in my presence? Because I'm so... Folks, I don't smell like God. I don't look like God. I don't act like God. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a lot worse than I'm just not like it. There's so many ways I'm utterly offensive to who and what he is. What, did he cross the room because of how I benefited? Boy, let's go get Randy Hahn. When, when, when heaven has Randy, whoo, we got everything. Think of what we can do when he's on the team. You, you, you know what I benefit heaven? Nothing. Zero. God didn't come cross the room. Because of how much he enjoyed being in my presence and what I would benefit him. He came across the room because he's loving. He came across the room and he said, I want to be your friend. And I'll pay for it. That should motivate you and me. Every day we're alive on this planet to do the exact same thing. And I think what James would say to us, I think how he would challenge us is, is, is listen, if... If you're not motivated to do that, if, you, if you're able to get to the car in a few minutes and, and really it's pretty much in one ear and out the other, yeah, I mean, you agree, you know, yeah, I need to, but ultimately Monday it's gone. It's gone and we go right on as is. I think James is saying, listen, if you're not motivated by this, if this is not guiding you, your faith is worthless. As a matter of fact, I don't think James would say that. I know James will say that, and you will hear James say that in a couple more sermons. Now, I, I don't know about y'all, but if somebody tells me something that I, I say is important to me, and, and this defines me, describes me, and they turn and say, hey, you're, it's worthless, it's zero, it's meaningless, it amounts to nothing. I don't know about y'all, I'm going to be offended. I, I'm, I'm going to be mad. I mean, who, who are you? Who are you to climb up into my life tell me my faith is worthless? And I don't know why, that, that really, this week, I, you know, I was thinking about that. Where, why does he say that? That's just so mean. <laughs> what, what, what's he getting at? And this is what came to my mind. I, I stopped and I wondered, was James at the Sermon on the Mount? I, I don't know if he was. I know James, Jude, these half-brothers of Jesus, I, I know they were at things he did. I know they were with him in some places, but you know, they didn't agree with their brother. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They, you know, they thought he was crazy as we saw a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know everywhere James, Jude, some of these guys would have been. But, but I wondered, was James at the Sermon on the Mount? And did he hear that place in the, in the sermon that day? Matthew 5.46, if you want to check it out later. 
where Jesus looked at the audience and he said, hey, do, do, you, do you love those who love you? Well, I mean, sure, yeah, I mean, I try, right? Be a loving person, be like God. Do, do you forgive those who forgive you? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? I try to forgive. I mean, let's be honest, Lord. People need to forgive me, but what I've done is very, very small. But the things people have done wrong against me are very, very big. But yeah, I try to forgive. You give gifts? Well, sure, yeah, I always exchange gifts at Christmas and birthday. And of course, what we really mean is, yes, I absolutely give gifts to people I intend to get gifts back from. Are you a Christian with people who are mostly trying to be a Christian back to you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Then Jesus says, okay, if, if, that's pretty, if that pretty much defines your relationships, if that pretty much, here's your philosophy, you do for others what they do for you. And that makes you not one bit different from a pagan. Folks, it does not take God living in us to be a nice person. It does not take God living in us to love somebody who's going to love you back. It doesn't take God living in you to, to exchange a birthday gift to, to, with somebody you know is going to give you one on, on your birthday. Folks, is the only place we're living out our Christianity with people who are just loving and serving and forgiving and giving right back to us? Because if that's the limit of our ability to be a Christian, there's no difference between us and somebody who hates God. So no wonder Jesus, no wonder James would say, this faith you hold on to means nothing. I wasn't kidding earlier when I said it's, it's a radical change. It's not a little change. It's a radical, ongoing, deep, sometimes very uncomfortable. But when God is living in me, I'm motivated to cross the room. For those who maybe won't make me comfortable, and for those who can't benefit me, not as a, a good deed, but as a way of living and relating. Because God did it for me. And did it for you. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we come before you in this moment, you know every single person in here, maybe it's, a, maybe it's something we've seen in the passage today, maybe it's one of the other words I've thrown out, but Lord, every one of us in here has people we're just not comfortable with. We've got people with... Just very little motivation to relate with them. God, thank you that the way I look at and approach people is not the way you looked at and approached me. Even though I would have made you just as uncomfortable. Even though I benefit you even less. Lord, I pray that... that we would be so in awe of your grace and your loving kindness that it would just lift us up and get us to move across the room. To broaden our circle. 
And Lord, I pray that as people see me, as people see us as a church, living and relating in a way that is not what everybody else is doing normally and naturally, that they see God living in us. They see a love that can only be answered by the name Jesus Christ. Lord, I do want to say a special prayer for the heights. Lord, I do pray that as people from our community come in here and engage with us in a worship service, in a, in, a, in a Bible study, maybe they join us for some kind of ministry event out there in the community, but Lord, as they relate with this body of Christ, I pray they will not find us relating in here the exact same way unbelievers relate out there. I do pray they, they see us as a way of life cross in the room it's in Jesus name we ask for your help in this and are so grateful that you'll answer that prayer and you'll give us that help in Jesus name amen